Welcome to The Big Deal with Glenn Ferris, episode 42. I'm Glenn Ferris, and thank you for listening. Thank you for liking and subscribing. Getting a lot of feedback right now, a lot of traffic. And uh, for all you new folks, man, go back to episode one with me and Greg Price. Check it out. It's awesome. You can go through all of these. You don't have to do it in any particular order, but yeah, go listen to them. I think they're all good. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Love it. Today, I've got a very fantastic conversation I want to share with you guys. It's very topical. Uh, Dr. Siegel is a, a guy who uh, is just awesome. We had such a good conversation. And, you know, I know it's going to be a good recording or a good podcast when the second I turn the uh, recording off and we finish and kind of wrap it up, we sit there and talk for another hour. And it was just so great to visit with him. Uh, he's a great guy. It was just good to get to know him. Uh, and anyways, a little bit about him. He is a medical doctor over at Health Services of North Texas. Uh, we talked to Doreen Rue last week, and she's the uh, CEO of Health Services of North Texas. And I'd been trying to get a hold of Jason for a little bit, and the week we were supposed to record was right as the lockdown was happening, right as the shutdown was taken into effect and uh jason is texting me and he's like man i'm not feeling well i think i'm coming down with something and i was like oh no 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 that is not good but anyways turned out being nothing was not covid 19 related but uh just he wasn't feeling well anyways got back on his feet we got to schedule this it was an early morning conversation and you know listen back listening back to it you can kind of hear the the courthouse uh, bell ring because we're doing it downtown right now. Anyways, I love this conversation. So glad we had it. Check out Health Services of North Texas. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization, and they are dedicated to providing excellent medical care for the entire family, from newborns to seniors, including prenatal care, counseling services, chronic and infectious disease care management, and prescription assistance program. They, they're a great organization. They do a lot of good in our community. They're on the front lines of our community's health. Check out their website, healthntx.org, and then head on over to glennferriscommercial.com. Uh, I've got some links to the website there. Also, um, yeah, check me out on, uh, on all the social medias right now, at Glenn Ferris, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm posting some some videos I've been working on with Doug Bird. Doug Bird is the the introduction music, and we're kind of working on some cool stuff. So, kind of posting that, and just kind of generally keeping an eye on things on social media. Try not to get try not to get involved because, man, Facebook is just such a what a nightmare. Man, if here here's my advice for you right now. Whatever time you're spending on Facebook, maybe cut that down to like half that and then maybe do 10% of, of that and you're probably not even halfway to where you should be. That thing is such a cesspool of, of bad ideas right now. You know, get out and, and talk with folks. Get on the phone and, man, call people you haven't seen in a while. You know, one thing I've noticed about being not in the office and not in my normal routine and kind of isolated physically from folks is, man, there are some folks that I just got to call. I just got to reach out to. 
that, and I'm not that type of person. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm very introverted. I am not one to just hop on the phone just to talk. But, you know, what I've realized is the people that I do get on the phone with or really want to, man, those are, those are my legit peeps. So anyways, just things to keep in mind as we go through this. And again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this podcast is useful and helpful and adds something to your world right now. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Now give it up for Dr. Jason Siegel. How many shirts do you have with your name on it? Um, I have three. <laughs> I have three. Just go through them. Yeah, I rotate them through. <laughs> you're, you're kind of on the front line of like the current thing that's happening, which is a, cool. pan- a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it like right now for a doctor treating people with possibly uh this disease or not like just give me your what what does it look like yeah uh it's a really confusing um time if you if you feel confused as a a general citizen then you know your doctors are right there with you the recommendations and the 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 things that are changing seemingly daily uh you need an n95 you don't need an n95 a cloth mask is going to be fine you can't have a cloth mask yeah you know, and, and the idea, you know, I think of it in medicine, it's always like there'll be some new new thing or a treatment or something you'll see on TV and then in fine print it'll say, but ask your doctor. Because, of course, he knows everything or she knows everything about this thing. And, um, you know, that's not always true. In, in this pandemic, what's become really apparent to me is that there isn't anybody at, at you know, that knows the answer. You know, we're dealing with the best that we have at any given moment. And um, that comes down to when to test and who to test and what does it look like and who should we be concerned about and asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic and all of these things. These are all words that we're all using by the minute now and trying to do the best we can to identify people who are at risk and who we can help and give advice to. Um, luckily the, the, you know, there's so much talk about it, obviously it's a pandemic. It should be front and center on everyone's minds. Um, but there's enough, I think, cultural conversation that, that people want to know. And so these aren't, these aren't the kinds of medical conversations that I sometimes have to have where I'm trying to convince somebody to take something seriously. This is quite the opposite where people are coming very serious about something and we just don't have the kind of clarity that we wish we had well how many folks you do you see or a percentage uh, are a lot of people coming in afraid that they have it and don't have it or are you seeing a lot of actual cases or can you even tell because you got limited tests yeah so we're limited on what who we can evaluate so and it's not a limitation of ability to see them it's a limitation on testing so when this whole thing started we had um we we had about 60 tests that we could muster between all of our different locations and brought them all into one place. And um, we've, we've separated all of our, quote, sick people into one clinic. So yeah. we've consolidated all of our operations onto our, our Mesa Drive campus where we have two, two buildings. And, and we're trying to just see people who think, they're, think they have it or are sick the problem is, you, as you hear, the, the symptoms of COVID are identical to every other respiratory virus we see every year. 
Uh, when this it's also identical to lying in bed, being afraid that you have it. Exactly. <laughs> I've sat Particu- there many in Particularly night. the people with, you yeah. know, anxiety mm-hmm. who, who become short of breath. Uh, I've seen a lot of patients who, um, they, they have anxiety, they know they have anxiety, and their anxiety is peaking. And with that comes a lot of shortness of breath. And that's the, the symptom that you hear a lot about on the news. It's like you don't feel well, and maybe you have a fever, maybe you don't. So that doesn't say, but the shortness of breath sweaty. is right, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? As you're sitting here now, you're like, oh my God. Is it? Um, yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really difficult to look at a patient and say, you've got COVID. Yeah. Right? It's really easy to look at a patient and say, you've got a viral syndrome, right? This looks very viral. It's got a, you, you appear to have an upper respiratory infection. But depending on what time of the year you're in, you're in that could be one of many different viruses. And we don't have um, rapid point-of-care testing for you know, a viral panel that says, oh, you've got you know, coronavirus or you've got... Yeah. So what's the holdup on the amount of tests why we? I mean, we've been at this how many months, and why, why can't we make more? What is it? How complicated are they? Like somebody's got to be out there cranking these things out. I mean, they are. So yeah. there's there's tests being cranked out all the time. They're just different tests of of questionable efficacy, right? So there's there's these point of care blood tests that that um, do DNA testing, um, and there's companies that will come and they've approached us. They approach everyone, hey, buy this test and you can test your patients for COVID. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, it's not available because it turns out it wasn't an approved test. Um, so there are people that are trying to, um, you know, sort of profiteer off, off the testing market. Oh, man. Um, so you have to be somewhat incredulous. Then yeah. Any test, you know, mm. tests are just tests. It does, you know, it's something that we do. And so we come to our doctors and we say, hey, I'm worried about this. Can you test for it? And, you know, we have a lot of tests available for all kinds of things in medicine. But the question you always have to ask yourself is, how good is the test? How, what do I do with the result? Do I trust it? In the case of, this, of the swab that we have, if the test is positive, I feel really confident that the test is accurate and that you have it. So a positive test tells me you have COVID. Yeah. A negative test doesn't guarantee you don't. So if you come in with all these upper respiratory symptoms and... We're in the middle of community spread of this virus, and I swab you, and it's negative. It doesn't guarantee you don't have it. That's really challenging when it comes to, should I go back to work? Can I be near my family? Am I going to get sick and end up in the ICU? Should we open businesses again? I mean, that's the big question right now this week. And so so we we don't know what we don't know. We haven't tested enough people, and the test that we're using largely isn't really sensitive enough. To really know what what the actual burden of the disease is in the community here, I mean, we see the numbers. Certainly, um, the Denton State School has just been ravished with this, and we've all heard about that. That's terrible. Um, we've probably swabbed fifty people, and I think we've had five or six positive in our clinic. Interesting. So we know it's here. I've I've I've, I've examined patients with it. They they have all of the typical viral respiratory symptoms. Um, luckily all the ones we've seen have recovered well. Well, the other thing about it is, okay, they come in with all the symptoms. It's like, what are you going to do about it? There's no vaccine. It's like, you're only caring for the person until they need to get on a ventilator, I guess. Yeah. There's no vaccine. There's also no, no treatment. Yeah. Right. I mean, so we, no, we can't prevent nor 
really treat it. We talk, in medicine, we call it supportive care. So it means if you have a okay. fever, bring the fever down. Yeah. If you have a cough, you can take some cough medicine. Um, and then there's all the questions as to, well, can I take ibuprofen? I've read that I can't take ibuprofen and I should only take Tylenol. Is that true? And what about chloroquine? I have patients asking for these malarial drugs, calling, saying, I, you know, I don't understand why you won't prescribe it to me. Um, so is that, what's, what's behind that from a well, I mean, from, from what I've read, um, from what I've read, there's some small studies, um, particularly that came out of China, out of the Wuhan sort of epicenter. And there was one that I read maybe yesterday that was in the New England Journal that, that randomized uh, about 30 patients to placebo and 30 to the chloroquine. Um, and these were patients with pretty mild disease, but there was no difference in the outcome. Yeah. Um, mm. And that's what I'm reading in the in the medical literature. Is it's very cautious to say this does anything. Um, it, there's so much information, and I don't want to even say it's misinformation because I think it's information being taken uh, from from the the SARS uh, epidemic or the MERS or maybe things from H1N1. Different information that we knew to be true, and maybe it's being uh, interpreted in this setting or extrapolated into this current crisis. Um, but at, at the moment I'm not, I wouldn't run out and get chloroquine. I don't see any evidence of it. You know, there's also been a bunch of researchers that are now quarantining and staying at home that are off the projects they are working on that are looking at the data and writing white papers. I mean, I was talking with someone the other day and he was saying, yeah, there's about a hundred white papers written about what's going on right now a day mm -hmm. that just come out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been interesting to follow it. I'm pretty active on Twitter, but I'm super selective about what I follow. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got after some medical journal uh, writers and follow them and just seeing the data come out against certain things. And, you know, I think the biggest challenge right now what I'm hearing is it's such a new thing that we just don't know. We just don't know like what the, we don't know what the, even if the data is correct. So like if it's we don't. It's just data, right? Yeah. I mean, like we, we've got a bunch of it and that's great. That's how it starts, but it's, it's just data. Um, you can make it look any way you want and until we have enough of it and can reproduce it and do studies. I mean, that's, that's how science is done. And yeah. We just simply haven't had time. You know, it's like, what's the incubation period? What's the, all these details about the virus? We're, we're doing the best we can with the data that we have, but that doesn't mean that it's right. And I think that's obvious when you look at the CDC's recommendations changing over time. And I know it's frustrating, and I certainly feel that frustration as well, but I think that the reality is that, you know, that that's doing the best we can with the information that we have at the time. Yeah. What do you think the future looks like for the medical profession as far as tracking it you know once we do get back up and we're going to need to know where the infection is when it starts mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. do you see the medical professionals mm -hmm. taking a bigger role in our life i i think that as far as this virus is concerned i think that when we begin to see a decline in overall infection ideally we will have a test that allows us to see who's had it. Well, I mean, the test is available, a, a, a DNA test that shows an antibody test that shows us um, 
you know, if you actively have the disease or if you ever saw the disease. Ideally, this is something that you get once and you get lifelong immunity to. That would be great. Um, but it's too soon to know whether that's actually a reality. Nobody knows. Um, I believe we're going to continue to deal with this virus until we get a vaccine. Yeah. That's my assumption. I think that my opinion, the, the, the stay-at-home orders and the, the, the closed businesses, I think this is the right thing to do. I think, I think it would be premature to, to sort of look and say, oh, well, you know, we, we don't have the kind of cases that they do in New York. I think we can go back to work. I mean, I, think, I, don't, I don't think that's sound advice. So you think social distancing is doing its job right now and didn't? I think it's, it's the thing doing the best job worldwide. I mean, coming to, coming to see me or any doctor for your concerns about COVID, are, I mean, I'm not going to say don't do it, because I, 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 mean, I want people to get care, and certainly a doctor can help identify when you need you know, uh, life support type care, when you need to be in an emergency setting. But otherwise, all these patients, the bulk of the patients that I'm seeing, if I had a way to just rapidly test them in their car, which I, some places are doing, if I had a way to, I would just have, swap them, send them back home. You don't need to be out. Most people are going to be fine. Fine meaning they're not going to die or have you know complex complications from this, respiratory failure, things like this. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear those stories. Those are the stories that are going to, and I understand we should be afraid of those complications, but the majority of people are going to resolve from this the way they do from a cold and a flu. So the distancing and the stay-at-home order is, is the, it's the most sound across-the-board advice we can give people. What's been really, I think, difficult for, for me is the, the contradiction between um, looking at the community and saying, stay home, do your part, stay home. We know that's difficult enough in itself for people, but stay home compared to or, or um, alternatively, but continue to come get medical care. And that's been a really interesting sort of juxtaposition where I, I'm constantly sort of looking at what I'm doing going, does this make sense? I'm asking people to continue getting medical care, but we're also telling them they need to stay home. Um, that's kind of a mixed message, right? But I think the thing that from where I stand as a family doctor and from my organization's just overall healthcare, I mean, we take care of pediatrics and pregnant women and everything. What I'm seeing more frightening right now to me than the, the COVID locally are the people who are pre, uh, delaying getting care that they would normally get because they're afraid to go to the ER. They're afraid to come to the office. They're afraid to get medical care for their chronic diseases, for their other medical things. And, I, I, and those are the things that if we don't manage ongoing, they end up becoming a big problem. So you might get COVID if you leave the house. I suppose that's possible. I don't know what the overall risk is in Denton if you... Someone were to leave, what are the chances in that day they would get COVID? I have no idea. Probably pretty low. Yeah. But the chances of, of you going into, you know, heart failure or diabetes becoming unstable or any of these things because you haven't been taking care of your routine health, those are real problems. And so when I was talking to Medical City Denton Medical Director a couple of days ago, he was telling me that, like us, our census is down. We're not seeing as many patients in the hospital. But the ones that we are are way sicker than they are. Mm. And so when we were in a community conversation about COVID a couple of weeks ago with the county health department and both hospitals, and, and, and I sort of stated to them that I felt like my biggest job, our biggest job as outpatient physicians right now is to try to continue to see our patients, to keep them well, 
so that if we get this storm or this flood or this second wave and all these things, that that'll be full of COVID patients in the hospital and they'll have the resources to deal with that instead of a huge onslaught of chronically ill patients who are unstable. That, you know, I can, I can prevent that. I can speak into that. I can try. So we've tried to do, I think what everybody's doing, which is telemedicine. We're trying to find ways to, how do we keep you at home and still connect you to the medical care that your doctor wants to provide to you? And I think telemedicine is, is that bridge. And, and there's been a massive adoption of that, you know, all over the country. So that's a positive thing that's come out of this. I think so. I mean, it's always been there, but um, because of different reasons, it hasn't been widely adopted. I think a lot of those are payer reasons. Some insurances pay for it, some don't. Medicare didn't. Mm -hmm. Some of those have been lifted, and so now patients are able to access that and get the reimbursement on that side. Yeah, the positive. There are positives that are going to come out of this. My, my big positive is I am so hyper aware of when I washed my hands last, what I just touched. Did somebody else touch that before me? I mean, I'm like, that, that's probably a good thing. Before, it was kind of like, you know, maybe if I get something, it'll build my immunity, you know, so let's eat some dirt and see what happens, you know. <laughs> we'll see how you feel about that when your son's born. <laughs> yeah, those days are over. Mm -hmm. So you're with Health Services of North Texas. Explain what you do over there. Um, what we do as an organization or what I do? Well, what you do. Yeah, so I'm the medical director. I'm also a, a practicing physician there. So I see patients most of my week. Um, but I'm also responsible for the, the quality and the sort of the um, direction of how we are going with our, with our medical care. Um, I support the other providers that I work with. I've got advanced practice providers like nurse practitioners, PAs that work alongside of me. Um, and we see, we see patients from birth to death. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got a pretty unique business model. Um, we, we see people regardless of their ability to pay, which is why I work there. Um, is that what drew you to it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a neat opportunity. The, the community the community doesn't have a community hospital. I grew up in Fort Worth. Um, we've got JPS. Dallas has the Parkland system. There isn't anything, there isn't anywhere here if you're sick to go. You know, you can go to the hospital and get a huge bill, but we've got a large population of people that have a Medicare or Medicaid that is increasingly not accepted by, by private physicians in the community. Um, and then a large population of people don't have any insurance. And so we we see all all patients i have patients that you know don't have any money aren't you know undocumented um all the way up to people who have you know cadillac commercial insurances and they just really love the care they get and everything in between mm -hmm. how long have you been there two and a half years and where were you before that pittsburgh what yeah i, I did my residency at uh, university of pittsburgh oh wow um, and then i practiced there afterwards my wife and i we've got three little boys um, and after our third was born, we decided to come come back home, be closer to family. So okay, so you're kind of from the Denton area. Yeah, my wife is from Denton. Um, I'm I was born in Fort Worth. Um, I went to undergraduate here at UNT. Oh, okay. So yeah, I've been in the area for a while. So what was Pittsburgh like? Cool. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a Pittsburgh. cool town. It's a really <laughs> neat place. It's you know I I pictured a sort of a 
dust-covered, you know, <laughs> steel mill town uh, yeah. in my mind. And when I got there, that's not at all what I saw. It's a very dynamic place. I miss it. So do you have like a, I mean, you've got a heart for caring for folks. I mean, I would guess most doctors do. Do you have like a philosophy of what that looks like? I, I believe that um, as a physician, you have an opportunity to partner with a human in their journey, right? Um, everyone's got a goal. I don't, I don't care so much about the patient's disease itself. I mean, I'm interested in it, but I, what I'm really interested in is how is it affecting their life? What are, what's their quality of life like? What are they, what are they able to do or not able to do? Um, and how can I help remove the health barriers to that? Um, and so trying to get to that point with patients is the conversation. Um, so I get to have these conversations with people every you know, 20 to 40 minutes about what's their life like and how is this disease affecting their life. Um, and by approaching them like that, I think that it gives them an opportunity to tell me how I can help them rather than me trying to impose what I think they need to do. And are you over at the, you're at the Mesa Currently, I'm at Mesa. Currently, okay. Um, because we've consolidated everything. Prior to COVID, I was at our new location at Sir Denton. Yeah, okay. So are they not seeing anybody over there? We're right not now? seeing any patients at, at Sir Denton currently. Oh, to keep it away from all the other stuff that's going on yeah, over there. Yeah, it was just a strategic decision to, yeah. to keep all patients at Mesa Drive and then further separate them between sick and presumed well. Yeah. You know, we're screening every patient that... that seeks care and if they have any symptoms or screen positive then they they just go be seen by one of the providers who's in the sick clinic we call it a sick clinic so what's your normal day look like um yeah like I'm are you the there office, five days right? a week yeah or, i'm there yeah. five days a week so i okay. I, I do medical director sort of administrative time a couple mornings a week um where i'm trying to work with our leadership staff uh, i know doreen was on here a couple weeks ago yeah she's awesome uh, yeah. she's awesome um she spoke very highly of you yeah, well I, I i appreciate it uh, i would speak highly of her i think her leadership is is key to this i mean i've been here for two and a half years she's been here a long time um and i think that with the kind of vision that she has for the organization i think we'll continue to be here for the community i mean that's the goal of everybody is um, our, our CFO says it all the time, you know, we're, we're meant to be here. We're supposed to be here. And I, I think that's true. I don't see anyone else stepping up to, to meet the needs of the community the way that we do. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I enjoy working with the team for the most part. We all, you know, see eye to eye on the way things should be. And when we don't, that's when real, real progress and change happens because everybody's open to talk. Mm -hmm. It's a neat organization and that it's big enough to have, have teeth but we can turn it in a moment's notice if we find a better way to do something. And I've seen that time and again. So, um, so that's been really, really inspiring to, to be a part of. So how disruptive has this been for you guys? I mean, yeah, you, disruptive. I mean, you had to change locations and protocols yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and all that. Yeah. It's a huge, we've got a bunch of teams that run the front of the front office, front of the house sort of mid office. And those have all been big changes, but <coughs> Not COVID, sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, the biggest change has just been the number of patients who aren't coming in to get care. So um, pediatrics particularly, pe people just don't want to risk bringing their kids out, um, which I understand. 
Yeah. Uh, but so we've just seen a dramatic drop in the census of patients, the number of people who are actually coming to, to get mm-hmm. medical care. So these are a lot of my chronic patients that I would typically see that they're just not showing up or they're calling in saying, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's smart for me to come in. And a lot of times I agree. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're trying to connect those patients to their care through, through telemedicine. Yeah. Um, and but what when, does that look like? I've heard that term a lot. Yeah. Telemedicine is like, um, you know, like Skype. Yeah. You, know, you sit, front, Skype sit, your front of your, sit in front of your webcam and your doctor pops up and, yeah. you know, you have, a, you have a conversation. It's limited. Um, there's some things, obviously, you can't look inside an ear or listen to a heart, you know, so we're <laughs> You're using, like, thump yourself here. Yeah, no, yeah. I, you know, I've done that. I'm like, you know, telling parents to sort of, you know, feel for lymph nodes on their kid's yeah. neck. You know, you, you, you do the best you can. We, we have a lot of different skills as doctors, uh, medical providers. Observation is our, the biggest skill we use in, um, you know, examining a patient through telemedicine. We're just looking and, and using those skills. Um, and then, like all medicine, just taking a history. Most of the most of the medicine we do, the patient tells you what's wrong with them if you know what to ask. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we've seen uh, we've seen a big decrease. Um, we've got a lot of patients. We've got a lot of patients coming in. I, sh- I guess I should look at, think of it a different way. So we've seen a big decrease in our daily census. I was talking with um, my COO and. She was saying that we've actually seen an increase overall in the first quarter of the number of patients, but that increase was predominantly in uninsured patients. Mm-hmm. So we're because so why of, is that? Well, because I think people are losing their jobs. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so oh. again, there's no public option here. So public, there's no um, uh, county health, dep- uh, county hospital. Yeah. So if you know if you become laid off because of COVID. And you lose your insurance, yeah. and you can't afford Cobra, which because Cobra is ridiculously expensive. Um, where where you come? So what's Cobra? Cobra is like your if you have a job where you get commercial insurance, and then you are laid off or you quit, you can purchase like gap coverage. Oh, okay, Got of it. your existing plan, Got but it. it's through like a. I think, it's, I think it's called COBRA. I don't know what it stands for, but it's like a. Okay. It allows you to extend your insurance benefits despite not being employed anymore. Yeah. So at a should, higher rate. Someone should have rethought that acronym because that's like <laughs> scary. Yeah. Know. Cobra pit. Yeah, Welcome right. to no, the it pit. Doesn't, of it doesn't. It doesn't sound um, healthy at all. Yeah. So, uh, healthcare insurance is a. It's. That's a pretty big topic. I mean, we're kind of seeing the fragility of what we've got in place. From your perspective, if you could wave the magic wand, what would it look like? The magic wand. This is going to be a political conversation. It doesn't have to be. It could yeah, just no, be nuts no, and bolts. No. Yeah. I, I believe everyone has a right to get health care. You know, I don't think that that, I don't think that becoming sick or caring about your health and wanting to, to take care of your health should be something that financially bankrupts you or that you know, a, a young family simply has to go without. I don't, I don't think that's a good social construct. Like the, the yeah. health of a community is determined by the health of the people in it. Yeah, this is how they came up with the idea of a fire station and a fire department. Is like, oh yeah, if if this if if this guy's house burns down and we don't put it out, the community burns down. Right. You know, that's right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. I think that you know, if I could make, wave my wand. We would have a well, kind of like kind of like health services is, but sort of a community base, something mm-hmm. that all all citizens can access for medical care. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
if the people who were providing that medical care were really good at doing it, then people would really want it. And if it, they weren't as good or if it wasn't as convenient, then maybe they would use the people that had the funds to do so might access a more private option. I mean, I've heard people talking about a public and a private side by side, why that won't work. And yeah, maybe, I don't know. But but having a, a public health system that allows patients to access quality health care, yeah. uh, you know, not urgent care, not, not that there's anything wrong with urgent care. It has its place. But um, having a relationship with a, uh, a physician or a medical provider that knows your history, knows your allergies, knows and can offer you care for the things that ails you when they come up and chronic care and preventative care. Most other medical systems in the world are, are based on the strength of the primary care. Um, in our country, we've, we've gone a lot more specialist care driven. Yeah. And I think there's lots of different reasons for that. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen a regular doctor since I was 18. Like mm -hmm. I'll come down with something. I'll go to whoever will get me a prescription, mm -hmm. pay mm -hmm. cash, walk out the door, be mm -hmm. on my way. Mm -hmm. I just got insurance this year, but it's like, it's car wreck insurance. Mm -hmm. Which is great. It's awesome. It's great. If you're in a car wreck. Yeah. And that's it. That I mean, I, I it's not even useful for mm -hmm. standard stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So and like and it's that's frustrating. And that's good, right? So so you yeah. haven't seen a doctor since you were eighteen, like, you know, muscle tall, that's great. You're healthy. You yeah. haven't needed one. Well it's you know? it's also encouraged me to like, you know, be in shape, eat right, like, cause I can't like I can't sit around and just like count on the blood pressure medicine happening or what all that stuff, you know. But that's but but that's huge, right? So that's I mean, yeah. don't underestimate that. I mean, if if most of our population was eating correctly, maintaining a normal body weight, not smoking, exercising, mm -hmm. yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have as many medical chronic medical problems that I that I deal with, and yeah. I would be completely fine with that. The way you describe it is like instead of a seatbelt in my car, I've got spikes in my car that I can be impaled on if I drive like a jerk, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's how I drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. actually that's a good argument. We should do away with seatbelts and just put spikes in people's cars. There you go. Everyone's Everyone driving drive, safe. Everyone yeah. drive safe. Well, yeah, that seatbelt's a false sense of security in itself. So I found this interesting because I've talked with several doctors who just really hate Medicare or Medicaid, like don't like dealing with it. You your office probably deals with that quite a bit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but you're also in favor of some sort of system more like that, or mm -hmm. well, whether it's Medicare, medic. I'm I'm in favor of a system where patients that 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 whatever that is, whether it's access to Medicare because of age or Medicaid because of socioeconomic status, whatever that is, that those people have an opportunity to go somewhere to get care. Yeah, uh, which is why I work where I work. We we're we're happy to see patients with Medicare and Medicaid, uh, particularly the Medicare patients. That's kind of where my heart has been. How I got into medicine, I, you know, um, to live your whole life and come to a, a you know an age where you've accumulated chronic diseases and you're in your seventies or eighties, and then you, your doctor calls you one day and says, "I'm sorry, I'm just not taking Medicare anymore." Yeah, like, what are you talking about? You've been my doctor since <laughs> I was yeah. You know, that just that hurts my heart. I don't feel like that's that that's good for for the doctor um, or for the patient. Certainly not for the system. So, um, yeah, we're happy. We'll take anybody. And and, and that sounds kind of like I don't know. I, I don't mean that to sound like flippant. Like we want to take people. I, I I personally, we've got a whole finance department, and they take care of 
trying to make sure that we can continue to do what we do, and I appreciate the heck out of their effort to do that. I don't want to think about it. I don't. I just want to see patients. If they have no insurance or great insurance, I'm going to give them the same care. The only difference between insured and uninsured is what they have access to. Right? Your insurance may allow you, you know, a, a a reduced fee to see a specialist if I need to refer you to one. Whereas if you don't have any insurance, then we're scraping together grant funding dollars, depending on demographics of the patient, to try to, to find find them funds to help support what the provider thinks they need. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it should make any difference. You should be able to sit in front of a doctor and discuss your health. I don't know why. I don't think insurance should have any part in that conversation. Hmm. So you mentioned that uh, care for the elderly is kind of what got you into what you're doing now with yeah. health services in North Texas. Tell me a little more about that. Like, where did that click for you? Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, I have a really close relationship with my grandfather um, who's passed and my grandmother who's still alive. Um, and I was with her in the kitchen one morning and I witnessed her having a stroke. Like and She was like making me oatmeal and like had a stroke. Oh, like, so, Were you um, in medical school? No, I wasn't at oh. the time. Um, it was... How old were you? 20... Five twenty six. It was you know I'd already graduated undergraduate, um, mm-hmm. but so being part of that, so you know getting her in the car, throwing my grandpa in the car, going to the emergency room, um, and and I had already been you know pre med at UNT and like uh, this was already on sort of on my path. But yeah, I think it, that experience and watching watching those doctors take care of her and watching really watching her in that experience. Mm. Um, it really was poignant that this is such a fragile time in life. Um, much like my three-year-old or my four-year-old, right? They're, there's not all that much difference. Like they're pretty dependent at that point. When you're that sick, you are you are a child. You are dependent on the adult that's standing in front of you. And um, for somebody who's just sort of had all of my grandparents for so long, I really I just saw it as an opportunity to sort of give back to that um, and take care of people who have taken care of me. Yeah. So how did that track work? You're, you're 25. You are, were done with med school at that, that point. No. So, or? so I was undergraduate, um, here at university of North Texas. I studied, uh, psychology and biology. Oh, okay. I was pre-med and yeah. president of the pre-med honor society here at UNT nice. and did all that stuff. Um, and then sort of got talked out of medicine. Um, you know, was sort of, kind of taking the MCAT and getting ready to do the whole thing and kind of got talked out of it by a, by a family friend. Um, I'm not sure if that was a good thing or not at the time, but I went a different direction for several years. I, I moved back to Colorado where my mother was and um, lived there for several years and did business and that kind of stuff, um, which was empty and just didn't give me what I had set out to do since I was a, a, you know pretty young. Um, hmm. And so I found my way back um, to, that, to that track in my late 20s yeah. um, and started medical school then. That's awesome. And uh, so you went to medical school in, uh, was that in Pittsburgh or that was? No, so I went to medical school at St. George University and did my residency at University of Pittsburgh. Where's St. George? It's in Grenada. Grenada. Grenada, West Indies. The country. The country. Wow. The island. The, the, 
the island. Yeah. So I what did we do over there? We like sent troops there. We did. The, we, had like a, we had like a skirmish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We actually had to liberate the medical students from the island because of like a, like a. Were you part of that? No, that was like. Oh in the, man, I'm not that old man. <laughs> Um, that would have been a podcast right there. That was like in the seventies. Yeah, they like they actually like had to deploy the like the military to like go like save these you know, American citizens. And you were like, that there. sounds like a great place for med sounds school. Sounds like a really good place. Well, so I, my my experience there was really cool. So I got to do my first year in England, um, which was awesome. So uh, I was on sort of an international track with the program. So I was in Newcastle, England, for my first year. That's awesome. Um, which was really cool. Um, oh man, it's it's a neat place. And then yeah, Grenada for a year, and then I was in New York City for two years. What? So it really That's kept cool. took me kind of everywhere. Um, it's been a really it's been a really cool journey. You're like I love to travel. I think I'll be a doctor. Um, yeah, and that's you know at one point, and I thought <laughs> yeah I'll probably be a traveling doctor. Like I you know I'll do yeah international medicine, and it's funny what what kids do does to your uh, to your plans in a, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean in a good way, but. But um, yeah, three yeah. little humans change the way you think. That's awesome. So when you got kind of focused on coming back to Denton, did you know about uh, health services of North Texas at that time? Yeah. And, yeah, and was, it kind of became a target, like, hey, I really want to go there. Well, I had, uh, when I was still, when I first finished residency, my wife and I talked about coming home right yeah. after. Um, and so I had actually come out and interviewed with uh, had met Doreen and interviewed with them, um, and the timing wasn't right. We ended up not moving back, um, and so when I when we finally did move back three years later, it was an obvious sort of restart. Um, I think they actually reach out reach out to me, um, which I was super appreciative of, because I wasn't exactly sure which direction I wanted to go when I got back. Yeah, and you've kind of got a a heart for just helping people. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think so. Um, you know what at health services or or any any organization like us i think you're going to find doctors and nurse practitioners and pas providers who have a heart for taking care of people uh, i'm not going to i don't mean that to say that private practitioners don't of course they do yeah but some of the some of the barriers and some of the challenges that we face uh, a lot of people don't want to deal with that yeah. you know trying trying to take care of people who don't have any resources is really it's challenging. I like that challenge. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah, um, I'm a. I'm. It allows me to to push my sort of my comfort level and keep me very on top of kind of all of my skill sets because most of my patients I can't refer. They don't have any way to pay for it. So, you know, it, if I can't cut that off, it's not going to get cut off. Or if I can't diagnose this problem, it's there's not going to be another person who's going to be able to do it. So I like that. Um, I enjoy that challenge. I've um, it's it's kept me trying to stay on on top of my my medical game as I can be. A lot of folks get meaning in their life not from where you might think it comes from, but from doing something very challenging. I think that's kind of what it sounds like for you is like um, the the heavier the load you can lift as a human. There's the, something satisfying in that. Yeah, the 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 meaning, more meaning you have mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. And I think that that that's probably to be said for most of the people I work with. Yeah, you know, um, I would say anybody who came to our office would be met with a provider who feels that way. I mean, there isn't anybody working with me that 
is there to collect a paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, 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 you know, ordering some labs and listening to some hearts and getting it. And there's nobody doing that. What's the number one threat medically for people living in this area? Can you? Do you threat. Have a, yeah. Or like medical issue that people come to you with. Man, um, mental health. Death. <laughs> not just death. <laughs> yeah. People dying. Yeah. What are you here for? I'm trying yeah. to not die. Um, yeah, that's everybody's goal, right? Um, mental health is a huge need. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because oh, mental health is everywhere. I yeah. mean, men, you know, life is, life is hard. Um, but people, was that something that was a big issue like 10 years ago? I think it's always been a big It's always issue. been there. Yeah. We just I, know how to talk about it more. So it's Maybe like, we talk about it. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, depression has been... Um, diagnosed increasingly more um, and treated more it's it's it used to be socially taboo right like so my grandmother's age like you're not depressed you're like we're yeah, talking about depressed. suck it up buttercup All yeah. right you uh-huh. know now it's like yeah we didn't fight the war for you to be depressed yeah exactly. <laughs> so yeah i mean I, I have a lot of patients that you know a lot of a lot of things coexist right so you know um psychiatric illness and and medical you know um otherwise medical illness often coexist and so it is not uncommon that i'm trying to tease out a a symptom in a patient and and i have to consider that this is something psychiatric um and so we end up in primary care doing a lot of based general psychiatry um but you know counseling services and advanced psychiatric services um it's a need it's a huge need and patients um we have some of those services available and we certainly connect them to our in-house services as readily as we can. Um, but in general, that that's a huge, huge need. And think about it now. I mean, people who aren't suffering from the pandemic disease are sitting there suffering from the anxiety of the pandemic disease. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like I can sit there and take my blood pressure and I can make it spike just like mentally. I can sit there and just make it go through the roof. Um, no, anxiety is real. You know that yeah. anxiety and and the the uh, panic and symptoms that come along with it are there are one hundred percent real. And so patients feel short of breath because they they are they're they're anxious and they're not breathing normally. Yeah. Um, or, or or they have the perception that they're not. Regardless, it's reality to them. Um, and so you're stuck in, I mean, I just, I'm picturing somebody, a lot of my patients that have anxiety that are stuck inside all day for a lot of them, that's enough to drive them up the wall. Um, but now, you know, you're stuck inside, inside all day outside. There's a threat of this virus. Like, you know, what is it like walking down the street with like a cloak or like, yeah. I don't know, you know, like there's this thing out there that's going to get you. Yeah. This unseen um, right. I mean, monster. That's, that's yeah. kind of panic inducing yeah and then you turn on the tv and it's like covid porn basically that's exactly that's it's a like, great way to describe it i try not to turn on the tv but it's on the oh, internet as well oh it's rough right now yeah. yeah um man so well what what's it like for you to be exposed to this because w- when we were trying to schedule this a couple of weeks ago uh terry uh was mm-hmm. like yeah dr siegel he's got he's developed a cough and i'm like oh no <laughs> Yeah, I, I the day the day I wanted to do this, I I was at work and I got like all of a sudden dizzy, like vertigo, like uh, out of nowhere. I, and I don't, I didn't really have any other symptoms. I didn't have a fever, but I kind of you know, 
I don't know. Were you like, you like, this is it? This is the one? This is right. This, this is, is the this. first case of dizzy presentation of COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I went home at noon and, and passed out and slept and, you know, felt better later than, you know, the next day. But, um, but yeah, it, it's been, it's, in some ways it's been really stressful because there's, there's meetings happening throughout the day to talk about all this. We're trying to make time to do that. I'm also trying to make sure I have ample time to see patients that need to be seen. Um, so there's, there's been an increase in work, which is fine. Um, I've gotten some of my, um, I've had been offered by my, um, two of my nurse practitioners stepped up and said they'd really like to take the load and, and share the sick clinic. So uh, I really appreciate them. They're, they're, we're all cycling and taking turns in there, and, and that's been really helpful for me. Um, but then there's the whole there's the whole dance that happens, you know, when I get home, you know, outside in my backyard, stripping, yeah, you know, to come in and <laughs> in the back entrance and and shower and try to you know sanitize before I go in to see the the family, and then the face mask at home, you know, to try to because I think I'm the highest risk person I know in terms of chances of spreading it. Yeah. Um, and since you can have it and spread it for days, um, you know, I'm trying to be as safe as we can. Yeah. But, you know, part of that is like, if you're a doctor, what better place to be than on the front line of something like this? It's like, that's, that's it's exciting. It's what you trained for. Yeah. When this first, <laughs> when this first came out, it was like, oh, you know, all my family and just, this is just so terrible in the economy. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's terrible. There's people dying everywhere. Don't get yeah. me wrong. That is horrible. But this is exciting. We get to do our thing this now. This is exciting. Yeah, we you know, we, we train yeah. in, in medicine by by reading and learning about epidemics and you know the HIV crisis. Um, yeah. You know, and all that's how that's how we that's how part of how we study medicine. And so to now be in something like that um, and try to stay safe, but yet have an active part in moving the needle towards improvement. It's, it's an exciting time to be a doctor. Yeah, they're the folks that run toward the gunfire. Yeah. And then the, the ones that hide behind their car. You're, you're the one running toward the gunfire right I, now. I, I, there's, there are a lot of people who need us to run towards that gunfire. Yeah. Um, and it, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel as threatening as gunfire. I, I don't, you know. For, um, well, it's because you're trained for it. Maybe. You're, yeah, you're, maybe, yeah maybe, you're trained. Maybe. Yeah, training goes a long way. So I'm... Eagle Scout, that that was the biggest thing in in Boy Scouts was like you you take all the first aid training. So when you get out there, you're not afraid. When bad things happen, you know what to do when you rely on your training, the ABCs, airways, breathing, circulation. You, you right. figure it out and you move down the road. That's right. You, that's what you're trained to do. So that's, right. that's a big part of it, I think. That's and right. That, um, it, it's kind of interesting also economically you know i do commercial real estate here in ditton downtown i mean it's doom and gloom everybody mm -hmm. i call everybody i talk to and as someone who's like studied the cycle so much and like studied the depression and studied all the recessions and the boom and bust cycle i'm like man this is now's the time for us to do the good work when it actually matters and it's kind of like you know, in Forrest Gump, there's the the scene where they're on the shrimp boat after the storm, and they were the only ones out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> everyone else is wrecked. Exactly. You know that that's how it's going to kind of be here in Denton. Is like a lot of folks are going to uh, have hard times and not make it through it, and you know, 
panic and close down but the people who make it through this are are, are going to be in good shape um no that's, I think how that's it, true i think that's always true you, you know you've got to try to hunker down and and get through the best that you can and if you're in a, if you can put yourself in a position to 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 take advantage of the upswing when it comes you'll be you'll be in good shape i think that um you know this this telemedicine thing for us has really i think done that done that for us someone said recently i heard i really liked it, it was like you know, never miss an opportunity to take advantage of a good, a good chaos or, a, you know, good crisis. A good crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was really kind of poignant. That's awesome. So what can the average uh, person do to be safe from this? Like what are kind of the, I mean, we've heard it from, the county a little bit but there, there's so much not not misinformation but confusing information out there you as a medical professional what would you say because i think the medical professionals are who we need to be listening to right now yeah i mean i would stay home yeah i would stay home um with your family if you're in an industry that that is necessary and you're going to continue to work um then yeah go to work I would wear whatever kind of mask you have. Um, I am uncertain of the success of it. I think it's more than not wearing it. Yeah. Right? It's not going to take the place or be as successful as distancing when you are at work as best you can. Hand washing, covering your mouth and and nose with a tissue or your elbow when you you cough or sneeze. Um, And then if you're sick, go back home. I think that'll be the, I hope that'll be one of the biggest things that, that changes out of all this. We, we have a sort of this cultural idea that like sick is, is weak, right? Like if you have a cold or a flu, like, like oh, I got to go to work. I mean, I'm, I'm going to lose all my PTO if I, if, yeah. I, if, I come, if I stay home. and Power through it. Right, I'm just yeah. going to get through it, right? I took mm-hmm. some Sudafed and some Motrin and I'm going to be fine. And, and meanwhile, you know, the flu ravages us every year and all these, you know, upper respiratory viruses that we all get, colds and coughs. I mean, these are all viral illnesses. Yeah. Um, ideally, people will come out of this and go, oh, I'm sick, I'm staying home. And then employers will go, thank you, yeah. and not penalize people for doing so. Um, I think that would be... I don't know how that'll happen, but that would be fantastic. So if you're sick, stay home. Certainly. I mean, even if you're in a critical uh, industry, if you're sick, stay home. Don't know what you have, but whatever it is, it's probably contagious. Um, you know, so stay home and isolate yourself from other people. Um, if you need to go out to the stores, you know, I think you go out and you go grocery shopping. You know, I think you wear a mask and you wash your hands and you wipe down your surfaces that you're touching. Um, but, you know, life, life can go on. Um, I don't think we have to like hole up like a hobbit and, you know, wait till, till, you know, summer to pass. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what um, benefit there is to sort of prematurely opening, opening industry again. I I cannot see that as a good thing, but um, whatever does open, I would just caution people to continue the same sorts of recommendations that we are now before they reopen avoid large crowds of people stay away from people um and, and certainly stay away from anyone that you see that's sick we didn't even do that previously we used to you know prior to this people would walk all over the square and you know if you got a cold and you sneeze and you cough and it's like you know you look at pictures of anywhere in china and in any given moment there's tons yeah. of people in masks it's it would be i think it would be uh socially wrong to go into public without one if you were sick yeah. 
So, you know, the pedestrian crossings over here yeah. still function by pushing the button. I'm like, guys, we can't do that yeah. anymore. Yeah, right. We got to, you can't touch. And also the trash cans, you got to touch them to open, open them. them. Yeah. It, it has driven me crazy for so long. I'm like, not, and, and finally, it's like, oh, you're not a crazy person. Yeah, right. Like, there's actual consequences yeah. now. He was so, right all along. Yeah. yeah. Now those will be some some things that I think change just as we evolve from this. Yeah, little things that we see here and there that you know this doesn't need to be this way. Yeah, There's a better way to do this, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be so different for a long time. That's what people don't understand. I think people have this false sense that you know someone's going to flip the tr the switch on May fifteenth, and it's like oh we're back to normal. It's like nope, I don't think because so because there's no vaccine because there's no testing. We. Yeah, I don't think so. It's, I think it's, it's going to be like this for a while. I think so. Two I think, years. I think it'll be like this until, if, if somehow this ends up being like a uh, a flu where it's very seasonal, that for some reason around, you know, late April, yeah, we just don't really see any more influenza until the next season. Why you know? is the flu seasonal? Is there any, is it like lower immune systems or... No, I mean, the flu spreads at the time that it does because people are in close contact. You know, win uh, winter months, well, it, it, the yeah, cold pe weather brings people, people go indoors. in, huddle together, and that's, that's what allows these viruses to spread so much in the winter months. It's not the cold, right? You don't catch a cold from the temperature, contrary to a lot of people's thought. You know, walking outside in cold weather with a wet head didn't give you your cold. Um, you know, that was a virus. That was an infection you picked up. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what changes in that time of year that... That makes the flu sort of go away. I, mean, yeah, I wonder what that is. But you know, if if this ends up being something seasonal, then maybe we'll have a a brief period of time for several months where where things will sort of approach it uh, something more like what we had prior to the pandemic. But I don't think so. Yeah, I think that until we know who has it, how many people had it, which means widespread testing, um, and until we have a vaccine, I don't think that I don't think that we'll with with as with as lethal as we've seen this be in 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 some people i don't think we'll just go back to normal i don't i don't i don't actually believe in ever going back i don't think you can ever go back yeah uh, in life in any situation you know yeah. you, you go forward you never go back yeah and so how we will take and, and integrate what we've learned and you know be able to reflect on some of the things we could have done better and yeah. see how we can integrate some changes as we go forward is i think the best we can hope for yeah and i think that's very hopeful well, think about going to a restaurant and, you know, are you going to take grandma to a restaurant in three months? No, nah, you're probably going to opt for, hey, let's, uh, let's make something at the house. You know, yeah. there, there's going to be a certain population that's like, I'm good. We're going to, we're going to Juicy Pig. Um, yeah, you know, as a, as a, as a father of, of three, I've got one in kindergarten, two that are in, in pre-K. And to me, the, the childcare thing is almost like the linchpin of this economy because, when are we going to feel safe to send our children back to childcare so that we can go back to that. work? Yeah. So to me, that's a huge part. It, you know, how many childcare places are even going to survive this? <laughs> Where are you going to take your children? If you don't have childcare, you can't work. And these are people that are in not just small business or, you know, medium sized, these are corporate people. These are, you know, these are people everywhere that we depend on a, private childcare sector to take care of our children so that we can go to work, AKA make our economy run. Yeah. So I really, I wonder, my wife and I have talked, you know, once we can, will we, 
What's when the, will yeah. we feel comfortable Ooh. sending our children into a room full of children who are exposed to their parents and whatever, you know, like, yeah. it just makes you think. And, you know, it's a Petri I, I, dish. It's always been a Petri dish. Daycare That's true. has always been a Petri now dish. Now we know. My children are yeah. healthier now than they've been in like two years because they haven't been around other kids. Literally, oh. I haven't seen a cough, a sniffle, nothing. They're great. Healthy mm. little kids. Well, I got to figure this out in about a month. Thanks for putting one more yes. thing on my plate. Talking Appreciate about anxiety, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting point, though. It's like, at the end of this, we could be healthier. We could be a lot better off. Yeah. Like, our systems could be better. There's no reason to, I mean, doom and gloom, I, I, I mean, I get it, right? The sky's falling, you know, chicken little. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It, it, it. In some ways, it is. But that doesn't mean that this couldn't be a good thing for the world. I mean, there's no reason to, th I keep hearing about silver linings. I, I don't know why that bothers me so much. I don't know if it's a silver lining. <laughs> you know, I mean, storm cloud doesn't necessarily mean bad, right? Like, doesn't have to be a silver lining. Storm clouds dump a bunch of rain. Rain's good. Yeah. Um, some things need to be cleaned. Some things need, need to be changed. They, they haven't been working. And like you said earlier, like we're seeing some fragility in our system. Great. That's a good thing. So let's figure out how to make it stronger. Mm -hmm. If there's a if if crisis is an opportunity to change things, then let's idea. I mean, hopefully, how do we change this for the better? How do we make this work for the people it's supposed to serve? Whether that's healthcare or childcare or whatever it is. Um, uh, my my practice administrator always um, talks about Disney as an example of a company who you know builds things for the customers. You know all the you know, they're trash cans every 10 feet and they're little so kids can put stuff in them and they you know they they built the organization they built the company for the people i don't know that our healthcare system is built for the people oh it absolutely isn't right i mean you could argue i guess that it, that is, it not, is but yeah. i haven't heard a convincing argument that way right it's built for making money yeah and that that that's not working but it seemed like there was a time where it, it did work like i remember in the 80s and like, you know, I had severe asthma in the 90s when I was a kid. Grew out of it, thank goodness. But insurance kind of worked for us. My dad worked for Compact Computer down in Spring, Texas. And, I mean, I, I ended up in the ICU when I was in fifth grade. And it, it worked wonderfully for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we had something that worked. And now it doesn't work that good. Why, why can't we figure out what we had and roll the clock back or roll whatever back we need to roll back to make it work like that. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. I think that the insurance company situation has, has changed to some degree. Um, you know, reimbursements to, for things have, have changed what, what they pay for this or, or for that. Yeah. Um, the, number of people who are insured. So the population itself has grown the yeah. number of people that, are, that they're having to cover. Um, and it got, it got really expensive to do it. You know, I think in the early days it was like, all right, you know, we're, we got to pay for this. Well, this is expensive. Well, after, as more and more people are taking, needing those services, you just, we've seen a huge decrease in, in sort of willingness to pay for services. Yeah. It's become so difficult. It feels like as a, as a physician that the insurance, the, the payers, the insurance companies, they're doing anything they can to not pay for whatever it is I'm trying to order. So they make it difficult, whether it's, mm. you know, um, 
very detailed billing, um, very detailed coding, very detailed explanation of what it is that you think. And it has to be in a very certain way. The verbiage might have to be even you know, verbatim this to be covered for this thing that the patient needs. Mm-hmm. So the conversation has changed from, hey, I'm a, I'm a patient in the ICU and my doctor needs to give me this care to I'm a patient in the ICU. My insurance will pay for this level of care for this many days. And, they, and, and they're telling, that's what your doctor can do. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's, that's changed. Although I will also say that the car wreck insurance you mentioned before would still take care of you as the eight year old in an ICU. Yeah. Right. That's what it's there for. Yeah. 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 You know, so yeah, I think yeah. it still yeah, works. It still works for, for that. It's, you know, we've got more medications, more, more complicated patients today. Mm-hmm. I think patients are sicker today. But like back in the day, we didn't wear helmets. We built giant bike ramps, set mm-hmm. them on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were... I hope we still all do that. I we did were. all that too. I mean, those are, those are great things to do, you know? I mean, wearing a helmet makes good sense. It seems uh, like we're a lot safer right now. We know a lot more. I we're, don't know if we are. Kids are all wearing helmets. and That's funny you say that, because what I typically hear is people telling me how, how much less safe we are, right? We won't let our kids... It seems like feet, we're as safe as we've ever Five feet out of been. our sight yeah. because someone's going to run down the street and grab them and run away because we read about that happening once on Facebook. Yeah. You know, and so there's this, this idea that we're not that safe. So it's interesting for you to say that, <laughs> that, we, that we're actually safer than we've ever been. I don't think it's any different. I, I, I think... Same risk, I, yeah, probably. I think it's the same risk. Yeah, and that risk is human stupidity probably. It is, it's human <laughs> stupidity. That's why we had to create helmets because yeah, we couldn't stop right. engaging in, in activities that were going to crack yeah. our skulls. Helmets and seatbelts. So we had to create a helmet so that we could continue enjoying jumping off ramps on dirt bikes. So how about a helmet with spikes on the inside? There you go. Right? There you go. You're <laughs> back to be the super spikes. safe now. You're back to the spikes. <laughs> so how, how much contact have you had with uh, like county leadership and like what, what sort of communication is happening there as far as, cause that's what the average citizen hears on a you know daily basis is mm-hmm. how many cases, how many tests, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what's his name? Matthew Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good guy. I like mm-hmm. him. Um, uh, what's that communication look like right now? For me, um, pretty minimal. Um, Doreen, hosted a uh, sort of a community stakeholders meeting yeah. a couple of weeks ago that I was on that call and was able to sort of voice some of my thoughts with, with Matt Richardson and, and um, representatives from, from medical city and THR. You know, we're sort of all the health people in this community. Um, but, but beyond that, and just sort of sharing what we're seeing and, and realizing that we're all kind of coming at this from, you know, solidarity. We're all, we're all kind of got the same idea about how to go about doing this. Um, I haven't had any contact beyond that. Um, I watch their website and look for, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing that there was a way for the, the health departments nationwide to, to sort of post one day, hey, we've, we've somehow now able to test everybody who wants to be tested. We want to know what the burden of disease is in the, in the region, so just come and get tested. I wish. Yeah. I wish. I think, I think they would do it in a heartbeat if they could. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest way folks can support what you're doing right now? Because a lot of people want to help. A lot of people are looking for ways to pitch in. Yeah, I mean, typically, I guess I would say, you know, contact somebody and see how you can volunteer. But I don't, I don't want you to volunteer. I'm not, we don't want anyone to volunteer. We want you to stay home. Yeah, stay away. Right. Yeah. So if you want to help, if you want to help your community right now, 
and and us as part of this community. You stay home and, uh, unless you're you know unless you're critically ill, mm-hmm. um, and then you if you get some sort of respiratory symptoms and you're really really sick, go to the hospital. You know, take care of yourself. Otherwise, if you want to help yourself and help us, continue to take care of yourself, including seeing your doctor. Yeah. If I'm not your doctor, call your doctor and ask them, do you have televisits? Can, you know, is it appropriate for me to just get another month refill without seeing you on my medications? If not, is there a way that we can coordinate this? Can I come in? Do I need to, you know, be proactive. You're, I believe doctors everywhere want to continue taking care of their patients. Doctors are trying to find a way to do that in the safest way for the patient, for the other patients in the waiting room, and for the, the providers, the medical providers. So everyone's thinking about this. There isn't anyone willy-nilly that's going to try to take patients and put them at risk by bringing them in the office. Telemedicine for us and for the rest of the country has really exploded. Um, kudos to the teams at my organization. They've rolled out telemedicine in about two weeks. It's up and running, and it's seamless. It's yeah. amazing. I, amazing. Yeah. What's your website? Um, H, uh, healthntx.org. Health, yeah, healthntx.org. Health and people uh, can donate too. I you mean, can you're, donate. You're a nonprofit. And- We're a nonprofit. We, um, you can donate. Uh, we, we've got an interesting way of, of supporting ourselves. Um, you know, we are a federally qualified health center, which means we get federal grant dollars. Um, that amounts to about 10% of our operating budget. So it's not that much, but we do have a, a, you know, a federal backing as well mm-hmm. um, that allows us to do like the sliding scale fee that we do for patients um, that I know Doreen talked about. Um, we can take donations. We get grants from individuals. You probably saw in the paper we got, um, we got a, an additional grant from the government for 800000 something dollars oh, nice. uh, a couple weeks, uh, a week ago maybe even. Um, to help try to shore up what we're anticipating in terms of, oh, okay, of, yeah. of um, increased need for uh, uninsured patients. Yeah. Um, we spent, I think we did about $7 million in uninsured care last year. Oh, my goodness. Um, wow. So, so an extra 800000 will help us continue to do that. That's awesome. In the wreath soiree. Yeah. You ever go to that? I haven't. That I know was it. so much fun. I want to go. Yeah. Uh, it was actually uh, there were a couple there. I don't know if they. I don't think they did it this year. I miss it. It was uh, Doctor Assis was who told me about it. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I want to go. Yeah, I want to go. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. I appreciated having you on and uh, just hearing your story and what's going on. So thank yeah, you. Thank you and thanks for the coffee. Well, there you have it. Episode forty-two in the bag. Uh, thanks for checking this out. Thanks for listening. And go ahead and like and subscribe on all your podcast uh, apps or whatever whatever you use out there. Tell your friends. And uh, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.